the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we have Alistair Cook joining us on the show. How are you, Alistair? I'm very good, Paul. It's great to be back after, I think we worked out two or three years, which means you've been doing this show for a very long time now. Yeah, because it didn't, it didn't seem like that long long ago, but uh, yeah, and it is. So maybe you can remind uh, listeners, and there'll be a fair few uh, new ones, that uh, maybe he haven't uh, come across you on the show before. So for listeners, and on where you fit into this world of technology. Sure. So I have a number of hats that I wear, and the most relevant one to the podcasting is that I run a podcast myself. I'm very involved, along with a large group of volunteers, in running the V Brown Bag podcast, which is a podcast oriented towards people learning more about doing data center infrastructure and cloud computing very much the hands-on practitioner and a video podcast. So we've been doing video since the start, and uh, it's nice to see more video being done here. Uh, With my other hat on, which is why I'm here in Auckland this week, I'm a trainer, and this week I'm teaching some Amazon Web Services, some AWS training courses here in in downtown Auckland, which is a big part of my work now. It gets me around Australia and New Zealand on a pretty regular basis. Oh, that's good. Well, um, I hope that means we'll see you again and it won't be uh, quite so long uh, between Between uh, catch-ups. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's jump in. Lot, lots going on uh, in the tech world. It seems to be what I say every week because there's always lots going on. Um, you know, mix of things on an international basis. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Huawei, uh, Google Chrome's been in the media, uh, Microsoft, uh, China. Uh, data leaks, uh, as well as local things going on with Spark, Vodafone, uh, Two Degrees, those sort of probably the the standouts. Uh, So, yeah, first up, uh, Huawei suing the US government. So I got got a call a few days ago and was asked to discuss this on uh, on the radio. I think it was News Talk ZB. And yeah, it, it, it just you know broken that this was happening, and you know I guess I had a little bit more time to uh, to to ponder it. But I'm I'm still not entirely clear. I don't know what your thinking is on this. Is this purely a public relations play from Huawei? And we we certainly see them uh, wanting to keep raising their profile and also. Um, I guess they're, they're they're wanting people to think good of them, right? Which is fair enough. Any any brand uh, any brand would, and so they've been running uh, varying campaigns and uh, well around the world in New Zealand and Australia. I I hear they're running the same campaign that we've seen here about rugby, and you know what would the world of rugby be without the All Blacks? So it was quite nice to hear they're running the same thing uh, in, in Australia. In, in Australia. Um, but yeah, I ha- I ha- I haven't kind of landed on is this all about PR or uh, do they think in suing the U.S. government uh, that they will actually be able to you know overturn the U.S. government rules that Huawei uh, basically banned from providing mobile networks in the U.S. What's your thinking on it? Well, I think that it definitely is a PR game. 
I'm not sure that it's solely a PR game. Like you, I've seen lots of the press. There was press coverage at, uh, there was advertising at, at NWC, a Mobile World Congress in Barcelona last month where Huawei were saying, what is 5G without Huawei? Yes. And that yeah. was that, that same message coming along that you, there are sort of category defining companies who should be part of these things. But I think Huawei definitely sees the US market as being a massive place for 5G rollout. And if they're locked out of that one massive market, then they may well have a problem. And we've seen potentially problems here with not being able to bring Huawei in because of essentially a flow on from that same US judgment. And so to challenge that judgment, then you're setting a, a stand where maybe you're going to be challenged the, challenging those same judgments in other countries. And other countries will think twice about backing a unproven um, case against a particular vendor. Mm. It, it does seem to me that what we've got used to with varying businesses being incredibly dominant – We've got used to that being the case out of the UK, but I think it's fair to out of the US. Sorry, uh, but I think it's fair to say that the US and certainly other you know, governments within the Five Eyes realm uh, are not not keen to see the telecommunications industry go that way. But for that dominant player to be in China, I mean, there's there's an aspect here that we've got to get used to. What you know, I think to many seems inevitable of that power shift from the U.S. being dominant in so many uh, fields to China, uh, you know, basically taking taking that place in in the future. And we've seen Huawei race from a brand, you know, come from a brand that certainly a decade ago there would have been very few people in New Zealand that would have any idea what what the brand was. Even five years ago, pretty obscure uh, brand in most regards to where they're, they're now, you know, coming on very strongly in terms of their position as a, as a mobile brand. And we'll see their, their next announcement with the P30 uh, smartphones this month. It looks like uh, they're really coming out with very, very strong products in, in that space that put a huge amount of pressure on the competition, they're number two in smartphones at the moment, but that's just the consumer side. On the network side, they seem to be the dominant player. And if the US weren't, uh, you know, I guess banning them from uh, operating in the US, and New Zealand and other governments weren't saying mm, we're not super comfortable, you can imagine a world where uh, all the other providers of uh, Carrier equipment become you know very small, uh, very small players. It's, it's, it's important it, to also frame Huawei as more than just a, a cellular telco provider, uh, infrastructure provider. They're also a complete data center infrastructure, enterprise IT infrastructure provider. So within China, they're a huge provider of servers and storage that are used in massive data centers, both as enterprise companies but also as cloud providers. So there's a, a much broader scope to Huawei than just this this particular piece of the business and, and so a broader ambition. You may well see uh, this being the new IBM in terms of where IBM was 30 years ago where nobody got sacked for buying IBM and it was the best decision you could possibly make. 
this is the direction where Huawei sees themselves in their near future as being the company that, that has the solutions for all of your technology-related problems. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting future ahead, isn't it? And uh, you know, they're, they're they're you know one entity in, in one space, but you can imagine uh, you know varying other uh, markets could go through similar changes. And you know, I was um, discussing this with somebody a, a day or two ago, and you know, just thinking through, well, you know, how could this be? How how can they get to this position, and how can they be so much more? Uh, competitive than the other firms in the space, but you, know, you you look at the realities of hiring in China versus where you know, other companies are, are based in Europe and um, the US, and you know from a networking and uh, and you know related sort of areas. And yeah, you you're talking about salaries that are a fraction of the price. So you could have mm-hmm. an R and D team that's three, four five times as as big as you might have in some of those other markets uh, and it might cost you uh, you know less or, or not much more than uh, than what others are, are spending but with you know r and d teams like that then you know of course uh, there's a there's a you know pretty strong potential of being able to dominate your field there's also a, a big advantage of coming rapidly into a new field that you don't have a lot of legacy. And so building something from scratch is much easier than making an incremental change to bring new technology into it. And we see this as we do our own day-to-day works, as we're building something completely new for a customer is much easier than bending what they currently have. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's, they definitely have had that speed. The other thing I want to highlight is that, that this fear of Chinese interference in uh, network infrastructure equipment is, is nothing new. Uh, all of the military uh, contracts where they're buying Cisco hardware there's always a stipulation that it must be hardware that, that has never passed through China and that it has to be certified that it was never, no manufacturing activity taken in, in mainland China so it's it's not that this is something a new fear and I'm not sure that it's entirely a Huawei centric fear it's a generic fear of the, the Chinese regime being tightly integrated in all of the IT that is manufactured yeah, in China yeah, yeah. Um, now, moving on to another topic, and, and this one got a lot of coverage as well in the media, and, and you know, I ended up in the same uh, position where I, I, I took a call to uh, dis- discuss it for uh, some radio news bulletins last week, and it, it was uh, around uh, Chrome uh, having a, a zero-day vulnerability and that people need to get out and uh, make sure that they're running the latest version. Now... We, you know, within the tech world, we're somewhat used to these occurrences happening. But what was just unusual was the mass media attention this actually uh, got, and without there being um, absolute clarity around what the particular vulnerability was. But yeah, I, I just I just found it fascinating that it uh, that it got a, you know got got so much uh, attention. I think it became newsworthy because there was the combination of a directive from Google to patch Chrome right now, don't wait, restart Chrome, uh, and that there was also a statement that this vulnerability was being exploited in the wild, which of course is what triggers that they go and, and update now. Yes, true. But when I did a little bit of digging, uh, it seemed that it was a combination of you needed to be uh, afflicted with a flaw in Windows 7 32-bit and have the effective version of, of Chrome installed or in use. So I did a 
quick look at what percentage of computers, and according to the Steam gaming platform statistics, now Steam is not really a representation of all users, but it is a good representation yeah. of people who aren't behind corporate firewalls, yeah. which yeah. is typically, again, more at risk. Windows 7 non-32-bit is 1.5% of the population of Steam users. Even if it's twice or three times as large a population generally, that's still not a huge attack surface. So I agree with you that this was big news because there was some key words in it more than because it was actually affecting a lot of people and putting a lot of people at risk. Yeah, and and look, I'm I'm not um, you know I'm not not clear whether that was the only scenario that Windows Seven uh, scenario. From what I read, I was left with the impression that yeah, everyone was. Because I think there were two separate, uh, maybe there two separate, two CVEs. Um, yeah, vun- vulnerabilities there. But uh, yeah, just just interesting when mainstream media jumps on these things, and, and usually when they jump onto something, it just sort of spreads from one media outlet uh, to to another. And you know, in the, in the case of the call I took, I think it had already been been in the media for uh, you know quite quite some hours before they they got in touch. But uh, you know, I guess that's that's the the nature of these things, some uh, some media will move you know a bit, bit quicker Bitcoin than others, others on, on on certain things, and you know, and, well, everybody's and vice under pressure from Twitter <laughs> distributing the news. <laughs> yes, and, that's um, right. Yeah. The challenge is always finding a credible expert who can communicate well the reality of the threat, and that's why you got the call, Paul. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> now on to uh, Spark Sport. This is uh, this is supposed to be their their week to a to a degree, I suppose, because this is their uh, this is their uh, launch week. They're launching their beta this week, and uh, yeah, chatting to them last week, it sounded like they were incredibly busy working uh, working really hard to be in a position to uh, communicate to people how to uh, how to get on board with the uh, with the beta. Uh, but basically, you'll be able to jump on board uh, free at, at some stage uh, this week if all goes uh, according to plan. Now, I did see was it uh, New Zealand Auto Car wasn't wasn't cutting them uh, too much. Uh, uh, was it New Zealand Auto Car? Yeah, yes, that's right. Um, not cutting them too much slack around uh, their 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 launch date. On a number of fronts, but you know, I guess you know part of it is that uh, you know Spark has has gone out and and bought rights to certain content, and of course those don't all happen to line up to when they're actually uh, launched. But they are uh, they are partnering with uh, TVNZ. So, uh, for instance, the Formula uh, won the Grand Prix this week in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, they will uh, be. Making that available for free on uh, on TVNZ, I think on uh, on their Duke channels. So as well as there being uh, content available on demand through uh, through the TVNZ on demand app. So yeah, people will have uh, have plenty of choices. Now the other thing that sort of somewhat related to this, and uh, another thing I took a call on last week was that uh, there was a I think it was some sort of gov- government panel and uh, the chair of uh, of crown infrastructure was uh, was interviewed there or, or contributing to it and uh, this is the news story as, as I read it anyway the information that that I read after I'd comp- 
attributed to uh, to the story was that uh, that crown infrastructure were basically saying there's going to be about the time we get around to the Rugby World Cup, which starts 20th of September, it's going to be about 40,000 homes that won't have access to uh, sufficient broadband to be able to uh, stream the Rugby World Cup, which is is, is interesting. Um, it it popped the thought into my mind because we had um, we had Pacific represented here on the show uh, earlier. Uh, when was that? It was sort of late late last uh, late last year, and they're putting up a, uh, a satellite. Um, SpaceX is going to put that up for them. In the uh, in the third quarter, I think was the was the most recent thing that I read on that front. So there is some some chance, uh, and I'm I'm keen to uh, keen to get an update from them. I haven't uh, uh, haven't heard anything anything uh, yet, but yeah, what what they think is the likelihood of actually them having service within New Zealand. I think the Rugby World Cup runs through to the second of November. Uh, so, yeah, to me it seems like if all goes according to plan, there's certainly a possibility that uh, at least for the for the uh, finals and, you know, maybe semi-finals and so on, uh, that, that 40,000 might actually be able to get some service through a satellite uh, delivered internet. I, I don't know. But the new satellite that they're delivering is VDSL type speed with unlimited sort of unlimited uh, plans being being on offer, so it will you know add something to the mix of offerings that we've got that the government have supported in terms of you know fibre and and uh, uh, and rural, rural, rural broadband. broadband. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always it's getting those last whatever small percentage of ha- households that is the most difficult and, and challenging. I'm concerned for both uh, Spark Sports and, and Pacific of the shortness of the times between saying they're going to launch these services and, and the time when the critical load comes on. And I think that's partly what Autocar was concerned about was that there is not a lot of bedding in time. And we know how IT projects work. They always run late, but the sporting event doesn't move. So there is, there is a, an immovable deadline by which you have to get this movable thing finished. And it will be very interesting to see how Sky Sport, uh, how Spark Sport, forgive me, how Spark Sport uh, <laughs> takes on their, their first event, whether they have some of the catastrophic failures that other uh, streaming broadcasters have had on their first attempt to stream a large-scale event. I think the Formula One is a good proving ground because in terms of the fanaticism of the fans, it's pretty high but not such a large proportion of New Zealanders are fanatic fans as would the rugby. And so the, the Formula One will be a good test. A little disappointed not to see an Android application, so my phone is, is not going to be useful to me for, for um, Spark Sports. Uh, but well, iPad it will, applications... Um, it will be. It will be. It will be, but possi- probably for, for the World Cup rather than for uh, the, the Formula oh, One. I thought it said that you would be able to uh, stream to Chromecast uh, this this week, which... <laughs> Suggests that it's going to be on that would be the web browser on my so no native application on my um, Android device. Oh, okay, okay. And the concern about the shortness of time is is really helping my in laws. So I've been discussing with my father in law for the last six months how he's going to watch the World Cup. Right. I really want to have an answer for him a couple of months before the World Cup is is being played. Now, if he was a Formula One enthusiast, we would have been having that same conversation 
and I would already be planning how I was going to handle getting him <laughs> online and, and able to watch this. And so that shortness of time is, is a significant issue for yeah. a lot of us who are supporting other people who are fans. That's that's right. And, and you've got to also recognise there are people that are – very non-tech savvy and yeah that's why i think there needs to be a very uh you know simple whether it's a roku box or uh you know and i guess more and more people are getting smartphones and getting a little bit more savvy but uh still the idea of a of a low-cost uh set-top box that that you just plug in would be ideal but you know of course there's even some complexity with 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 just plug in in a, in a lot of cases, right? So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really um, uh, you know I think a, a challenge in uh, in some regards. In terms of that forty thousand figure, though, in terms of homes that that probably aren't going to be able to get it directly, uh, if well, if the satellite uh, you know internet isn't available at that uh, that stage, I'm I'm not sure that that's a you know, as as big a deal as as some people would. Sure, if you're in that forty thousand, that's not ideal. But we look at it today. There's you know, half the population or or more of New Zealand uh, that doesn't have Sky, and a lot of that is because they can't afford it. Um, so you know, we've just got a, a, a slightly different sort of inequity balance, I guess, based yeah. on uh, based on people's locations. But also those people who are in challenging locations tend to have worked out strategies to get to the sport they want to see. So plenty will, will go to the nearest bar that actually has has Sky. Um, I know my, my father-in-law is often visited by his brothers when there's test matches on, and so people build their strategies around it. So they will build strategies around not having fast enough internet in order to see these things as well. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see we'll see how it uh, how it pans out, and once we do hear back from uh, Pacific, we'll certainly be sharing that uh, that on the show. But yeah, the the, uh, the the latest info that I was able to drill into suggests hey, there's there's certainly a um, you know a fighting chance, but uh, as you say, sometimes these uh, these tech projects can uh, can go a, a a little bit off; uh, they can be delayed. Um, so. We'll uh, we'll wait and see. On that uh, front of you know putting things into space and so on, it was uh, very pleasing to see um, you know space, SpaceX uh, with um, their uh, crew uh, shuttle uh, being being tested and uh, you know able to autonomously steer itself into position to uh, to dock with the. Uh, space station. That's pretty that's, cool. That's stuff, a pretty isn't significant it? change in the amount of human effort required to do that docking. It sounded like the docking in the past was a full time job for four, you know, fully occupied four people for the duration of the docking maneuver. And then you stand back and think about what's being achieved with that docking, the ridiculous speeds at which these things are moving, and yet you see their relative speed is tiny. Yes, and yes. they're moving together at great precision. And uh, although it's a, a very well understood, heavily studied area. It mm. still is an amazing thing to have achieved. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, it uh, you know j- just just makes it all the the more exciting. Uh, you know what what's going on in in space now that they're able to uh, make you know make these extra achievements. It wasn't something I was aware was going to be uh, going to be dealt with. So it was yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was very very cool to uh, very cool to see. And it places SpaceX quite a way ahead of their competitors in terms of getting crewed missions up to ISS that are, are not living on thirty year old technology or fifty year old technology from the Russians. 
Yes, um, you can. Yeah, you you can you can imagine where NASA has a number of suppliers to uh, you know to choose from. That yeah, it'll be attempting to lean a little bit more in the SpaceX direction if they're doing uh, unplanned, innovative things as uh, as part of what they. Uh, what they delivered now, yeah, you know, I don't know if it was unplanned or oh, not. Oh, I think that was very thoroughly planned. Everybody um, was expecting the autonomous oh, docking. That was yeah. part of the mission profile. It was yeah. just a surprise to us. Yeah. Normally, yeah. we know about all of the cool that, things SpaceX right. is doing ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of space, space and cool things, we've got another interesting uh, an- announcement this week of a New Zealand Aerospace Challenge. That was uh, an interesting article that you um, brought to my attention. That there is there is funding around for doing some remote sensing and potentially uh, satellite-based sensing for looking at minimising soil harm and pollution. That's a great innovation that uh, was the Christchurch... um, I don't see the Christchurch collector that was in there. Yeah, it's called the New Zealand Aerospace Challenge uh, 2019. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just kicked off. Uh, They kicked it off in uh, in Christchurch, uh, I think, uh, end 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 of last week. Uh, and yeah, it's this um, uh, project that you know, the, I think they're talking about you know thirty thousand dollars in uh, in prizes, and it, it's very much you know looking to lean into uh, new technology, um, you know, based innovations, uh, whether whether it's drawing on satellite or uh, you know unmanned um, drones of you know or drones of some sort. Uh, to be able to help develop, um, you know, products and services that can uh, detect and monitor, uh, you know, pollution in the water or, or soil. So, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely challenges that we're trying to uh, trying to address in New Zealand. And look, I, you know, I hope we get some uh, we get some good results and a you know a good bunch of people come on board and uh, um, you know bring bring about some things that are going to uh, help us on that environmental uh, front. I thought it was interesting that there was a collaboration between Christchurch NZ, which is a part of the city council in Christchurch, mm. and Airbus. So Airbus is bringing some expertise and access to that expertise and information and, and technical knowledge within Airbus is being brought into this. Oh, I'm not I saw aware space, of space space mentioned. I didn't yes, see indeed. Airbus. So as Airbus well. is definitely oh, in so there as, whole, as one of the partners. Bunch. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. And and so that that yeah, access right. to data and yeah. and expertise on remote uh, data capture, sending mm. data back from things in uh, in flight is an interesting thing. On the other hand, 30k of, of prize money f- to do something in autonomous vehicle or space by September uh, yeah. of this year yeah. is, is there's going to be a, it's a big ask to do something significant with uh, such a small prize relatively for what is a huge problem and potentially a very expensive problem to address. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, I mean, it depends on uh, depends on who gets involved, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, but look, it's it's yeah pleasing to see these things happening. So I look look forward to hearing some uh, results. Now, another um, thing that caught my attention was around the leaking of uh, private messages in uh, in China. Apparently, uh, three hundred million uh, messages were were exposed and. Yep, as we know uh, in China that the, the you know the the, the government uh, has plenty of uh, 
control rules in place around uh, you know what what's what's allowed behind the great firewall of China, and so the likes of Facebook and uh, and Twitter aren't, uh, and those entities who do play ball are predominantly uh, Chinese. And uh, basically, that data is being fed back to uh, back to the government. So, yeah, hearing around these uh, these these messages that were um, that were found, uh, you know, through, I guess, a, um, yeah, someone someone just sort of happened uh, happened upon them, basically, didn't they? So, so it's, it's there's, been, there's plenty been, of prior, bit, bit worrying. Well, there's plenty of prior uh, incidences where this kind of information disclosure is is around. That's true. Uh, there's been lots of so I'm I'm teaching AWS training courses, and there's there's a newsletter that hands out a uh, award of shame for having your AWS object storage your S3 bucket unsecured. And the last one I heard was a dating application where all of the chat history, even the private chat, even the deleted chat was all in an unsecured S3 bucket available to anybody who happened to know its address. Yes. So there's lots of art around people not thinking through security in their application design. The interesting thing here is is that it appears that what's been poorly designed was the way that the eavesdropping occurred. There's a suggestion that there was this chat data was being sent to 17 different potentially police stations in different provinces is what they're suggesting in, in this article on The Verge that I've uh, yeah. had a look at. So the, the really interesting part is how the surveillance is part of the culture in China. And this feeds back a little into our earlier discussions about Huawei. This is the, the same way of thinking about data and surveillance as being a routine activity yes. that scares uh, a lot of other organisations, a lot of other countries. Well, you you know you can imagine amongst that, and they had data from WeChat, QQ. Uh, there was apparently a lot of personal, personally identifiable uh, information: uh, Chinese citizen ID numbers, photos, addresses, GPS location data, uh, as well as those chats. And you know we're talking a, a big chunk of messages here, three hundred million, uh, quite a lot of you know incriminate, potentially incriminating you know information and you know whatever's going on. And when you've got that much information, you're going to stumble across things in people's private lives. Uh, so th- yeah, it's um, it, it's worrying from that perspective. But you know, I guess for me, it sort of triggered more thoughts of. You know, handing of the 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 state having this much sort of information, and while there there does seem to be, uh, you know, a, a feeling amongst amongst some in China, you know, I've certainly you know heard you know varying bits of commentary where uh, you know people seem quite relaxed around these things because they know well the government's got a lot of information that means they can make it safe and. And uh, protect us, but in a in, in a state that maybe does some untoward things, um, then you know. And we've I think you know there's been very media coverage in the in the last couple of weeks around um, you know various religious groups getting uh, getting targeted in in, in certain ways. Uh, yeah, with 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 this sort of information, the amount of information they've got. Uh, you know, a, a government that is um, not uh, accountable to the people that is less, uh, less can, benign can uh, potentially do some pretty nasty stuff with this, and it, and it um, 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. It 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 doesn't it doesn't leave me feeling uh, excited about the future of of life in uh, in countries that are willing to collect uh, this this much uh, data. So I think one of the elements is this is this seems to be very open in China that this information is being collected that the citizens have a social credit score and if your score is not high enough you're not allowed to travel. Uh, that's been covered fairly widely in the media. I think we've found that in the US, people are being surveilled just as much as they are in China, and uh, the regime is in the US is less open about it. Uh, we've seen some uh, surveillance overstepping legal boundaries in New Zealand. Mm. And so I think the reality is that there is surveillance by government organisations, and we need to be mindful uh, as we're making our decisions about what we put out in the public places. Uh, and also we need to actively take part in our political system. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, 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 let's, well, let's look at New Zealand. We're in New Zealand. Uh, you know, here, if we don't like how far a government's going, obviously it's, it's, it's easier uh, to bring about change. Yeah. It's easier to protest in the, in the street without being too worried about you know, safety and so on. But we also feel like we can change something in this country. Mm, and absolutely. in larger countries, you feel less of that. There's, I know my American friends feel uh, unable to make changes in their own country and, and have for some time. And that, to a certain extent, leads to the political situation there. Mm. I imagine that the, the general populace in China don't feel that they have much choice to change their country as well. So, and uh, and, and and you know China's not the uh, not the only country, but they're certainly the one that's uh, that's getting a, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of attention uh, yeah. at at the moment. Now you made a comment about careful what you post publicly, but I mean we're, we're certainly talking about things that aren't necessarily uh, public here. Oh, if, land, if you look at the origins of the internet, land, everything land, is public. Up. Yeah, well, I guess that's a fair. Fair way to, to put it, and it's a uh, yeah fair fair warning. Uh, but I, th- I don't think yeah. that the that, that you know everybody feels that way around around the internet or around their text uh, messages. Absolutely, they around, don't, and that's how this things. information ends up um, being potentially. Uh, people end up being surprised when their information is made public. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think. Um, no, I've lost my thought completely. You'd better rescue me, Paul. Okay. Well, let's jump on to the, the next part of the world, which is Africa, uh, because I saw information come through from Microsoft saying they've opened their first data centers in Africa and that they're, they're the first of sort of, the, you know, really the big, the big global players that, you know, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Google, you know, these players that have... Um, you know, cloud data centers uh, spread, you know, around the world. But Africa's uh, been left out up until now, and uh, Microsoft have just opened uh, data centers in uh, Cape Town and uh, Johannesburg in, in South Africa. Now, of course, if you're in other parts of Africa, you're, you know, not so far away from data centers in, uh, in other regions, uh, potentially, but Africa and the Middle East have been, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, devoid of um, uh, these sort of, you know, big data centres from the uh, the, the, the global uh, players. Um, South 
uh, America is, 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 hasn't been in, in such a state. There have been data, data, data centers yeah, in South America. Single for, data for, center for, yeah. or single region for AWS, single data center for, for Azure and, and um, Sao Paulo. But mm. the rest of South America not, not served. Mm. And as you say, Africa has been very poorly served. So uh, it's, it's great to see nice diversity in the locations that Azure has chosen to, to light up in Southern Africa and that gives customers a lot more confidence to use the region because they are geo-dispersed and that's really important with the Azure architecture. And it's, you see as, as you look at the map, there's, there are lots of Azure data centers spread around centers of partly English-speaking, so um, North America very heavily covered uh, and a, a fair amount through uh, sort of Australia and um, and some of the ex English territories, mm. uh, but yeah, big big gaps through Middle East and, and Africa, and uh, quite a lot of of North of uh, South America not not well covered. Yeah, so um, look, you know, good on good on Microsoft. I think you know it is mm. uh, uh, is important to uh, spread this infrastructure around, and you know, obviously it it helps uh, in Africa. Really, we're 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 seeing uh, you know there is a need uh, in Africa for you know innovation uh, that you know help lead to lead to better uh, better lives for uh, for the population. So, and um, there's a huge opportunity in that there's much less already installed IT, on-premises IT within organizations throughout Africa. Uh, and so cloud IT is, is a, a really fast way of getting to lots of organizations, the same as we saw that cellular telcos grew through Africa far faster than anywhere That's else right. because yeah. there was no competition. There was no um, eating the existing market of landline. Yeah. The same, I think, we'll see through uh, through Africa with uh, cloud IT, so long as those cellular networks are giving sufficient data for people to consume the applications for mm. Mm. Now, it, New, New Zealand isn't uh, isn't a location uh, that, that doesn't doesn't get hit by uh, you know I guess you know financial challenges, and neither are our companies. So you know we've we've seen uh, Spark, for instance, you know lay off quite a number of people uh, over a period of, of time. Uh, now it uh, seems to be it's Vodafone's uh, turn. And look, it's uh, it's a little bit a um, little bit unsettling, actually. Just uh, you know, watching what what's been coming through in the media in these uh, these regards. Uh, the latest headlines um, talking about nearly all of Vodafone's uh, staff being offered the option of uh, of redundancy. Now, you know, we don't know exactly what that's going to mean over the. You know, over the years ahead, in terms of uh, you know changes to uh, to, to headcount, we do know there's pressure on uh, on Vodafone because they had been considering uh, listing on on the stock exchange, uh, doing an doing an IPO, and um, yeah, they put they pulled out or pulled back from uh, from doing that, and uh, you know presumably they want the numbers to look pretty good, but. You know, I I would imagine most people are going to kind of, uh, you know, see see through their stuff. So they're going to have to make sure if they do, uh, you know, allow a number of people to be redundant and, and maybe uh, you know, if, if, you know, for, force people uh, out that way. Um, that they're pretty uh, pretty smart around the way they do it. Because I think it's it's fair to say, 
that a lot of people are not super impressed with uh, with where Vodafone are at from a customer service uh, you know perspective in the market at the moment, and yeah, you know, part of that has been their uh, their challenge of you know varying mergers that they've done over the years, uh, you know. In particular, uh, Telstra, Telstra Clear, uh, that yeah, that um, that that has sort of left them with disjointed IT systems and so on, um, and yeah, they 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 don't seem to deliver uh, maybe as good a customer service as you might uh, uh, might like as a customer. Um, and in fact, this last weekend, uh, they they had a um, yeah reasonably big outage around the the country. As well, now that um, you know, I'm not saying that they're not uh, investing uh, correctly in their in their infrastructure. You know, I don't uh, haven't seen anything on exactly what uh, what caused that one yet. Uh, and other people have outages. I think today, uh, Digital Island, who are owned by uh, Spark, had an outage on their uh, their uh, voice over IP based uh, based uh, uh, phone system went down for a number of hours. So. Uh, these things happen. They sh- they probably shouldn't happen, uh, and they happen less and less these days than what we were seeing uh, in year in years gone by. Um, but it it is concerning, and um, the you know I don't like to jump too much on uh, on the rumor mill, but uh, the mainstream media uh, you know have have picked up uh, comments that uh, Vodafone are looking to uh, to be outsourcing to to India. Um, and that's look. That's that's tough if that's taking away a lot of uh, a lot of Kiwi uh, Kiwi jobs. Yeah, and I, th- I think to to be clear about why this is happening is is that they're looking to cut costs to get in a position to IPO uh, to actually go public and, and sell off. And having worked at, at a telco that was going through this process, uh, the first thing you do is you control all of your costs. And this is essentially what's going on here. They're looking at how much do we need to shed costs to be a viable company to, to be sold and how how can we do that with as few compromises to the quality of the service that we deliver and the quality of the customer service. And in the statements they've made, they've been very clear that they have previously outsourced customer service overseas, been really unhappy with the quality of that customer service and brought it back on shore. Well, it does seem like they're looking at compromising customer service for a while to get in the right financial situation. They're a, a business, after all. They've got to make financial sense for their their owners. That's that's what they're in business for. And yeah, and I've you know read. I think I read some comments suggesting, well, if they do outsource overseas, they're not going to do so uh, in a manner that compromises their uh, their service delivery. So that's going to be interesting because it is hard to get people that are in other parts of the world uh, that that you know aren't uh, you know local or haven't been living in New Zealand for some time uh, to to be able to. Uh, understand all of the challenges you know we we deal with in terms of knowing your part of the country and mm. and this and mm. that. But you know, in other regards, sometimes people in other parts of the world it might be uh, um, you know very very capable. So Often you know, we, it's that, that less expensive people allows you to spend money on training them more than you can afford to train more expensive people. So sometimes there's good outcomes. Vodafone have, have stated that they brought stuff back because the outcomes weren't good enough. So I think what we're, we're seeing is they're taking a short term cost, a short term cost saving in order to uh, get themselves in this position to be sold. My, my guess is that these jobs will come back again when that short-term requirement is met. 
maybe there's some new ownership and the new ownership says we've got to get our satisfaction back up. We're bringing the call centres back again. I would be unsurprised if this was a yo-yo. <laughs> Maybe so, and and look, you know, I guess there's some similarities here to what we were talking about, you know, with with Huawei and you know what they are able to achieve with uh, you know uh, labour and 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 people being in in markets where there's there's a big difference, and yeah, this is one of the political and and just you know real life challenges that we have to deal with uh, in New Zealand, and I, you know I know that you know the, there's a, a general feeling that. Uh, you know, we should be earning more in, in, in general, particularly at the lower end in, uh, in New Zealand. Uh, but then, you you know, you hit things like this. And when we're competing with uh, other other parts of the world, then, yeah, it gets pretty challenging. Mm. And um, mm. it's, it's no, there's, not a, there's not a quick, easy, uh, easy, easy fix for that one because it's also uh, – it's expensive to live in New Zealand. It is. So, you know, these, these are very, very genuine uh, – and real real challenges now before we uh, finish up what else do we have on the list oh, um, I see two degrees are uh, bundling uh, Amazon Prime video for uh, for uh, their fixed broadband uh, customers so yeah we've got all sorts of uh, bundles going on for uh, for streaming services so we've got prime you've got uh, Netflix, I think Vodafone are uh, mm. uh, are doing that, and Vod- or Vodafone are doing uh, Sky. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of uh, all sorts of bits bits and pieces going on here as they uh, they each try to you know keep growing their uh, their their market uh, share, and you know often at a, at a, at a uh, impact on uh, on on profitability. I mean, we've got a pretty competitive market for the size uh, of our market. We have an know, awful lot of people selling yeah. into this. I I like uh, Amazon Prime Video a little. Uh, the challenge I have, I have a twofold challenge with Amazon Prime Video itself. One is that uh, a lot of the content's not available in New Zealand, and so I go to play play video content that's that's showing up on my device, and it says no. The other one is that I I use a Roku for all of my video um, content from from Netflix and from my own Plex box, and um, the Amazon Prime application. Uh, channel on Roku won't play for me because I'm not registered in the US. Mine's all uh, locally set up. So right, right. A couple okay. of challenges to consume this, but I think it's great to see uh, more of the um, bundling options around. But I think in the end, customers are going to choose what gets them the best content on their screens. And um, the majority of my TV watching is is not through Amazon Prime Video. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I I agree to a degree. There, I mean, there's a big aspect of it is the content, but there is also the the brand. If there's a brand that's got all the content, but you've never heard of it and don't hear about it, and that's where Netflix just gets so much free promotion, right? Because it is the default brand. It's the the McDonald's of of streaming, I suppose. And uh, um, you know, but right, rightly or wrongly, I mean, to commission lots of new content and, and are commissioning yes, independent yeah. content. And the catalogue on on Amazon Prime Video was pretty good. There's a in lot the, there in the US. In the US, yeah, if, yeah. if it's if Fair the content point. is good here, then yeah, we we more, could be more, more of a more, more people will be jumping on board. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there's, there's uh, certainly, you know, I guess ple- a growing amount of choice for us on that streaming front, and uh, you know, we'll certainly see that change 
this year as well this week actually as parks start uh, start getting in with with their sport offering whether as consumers we end up uh, better off you know some of these things will be split up and i think what you know what will ultimately happen is those that are real sports fans will pay more those that are less keen on sport probably their their overall costs will actually uh, come down that's uh, that's sort of seems to be the direction of where we're going, but there's still a lot, a lot more to play out. So uh, um, yeah, lot, lots more to see in this space. Anyway, oh, yes, yeah. Well, it's been great to have you on the show, Alistair. It's been really nice to be back, Paul. Well, where do people track you down? What's the best place? You so t- my Twitter online these days, brand or? is is Demitas. Uh, small and powerful is my tagline. So Demitas is the size of coffee cup that your your uh, espresso is served on. Uh, and Demitas.co.nz is my uh, website, my blog, and uh, at Demitasnz is my Twitter handle. Excellent. And I'm glad to be in New Zealand where I can say it as a Z. <laughs> yes. Um, well, thanks, everyone, for listening in. You can, of course, catch me uh, online uh, at Paul Spain across uh, Twitter and, and Facebook. you find me on uh, LinkedIn as well. If you do want to connect on LinkedIn, uh, it's always appreciated if you just put a note in there and uh, let me know that you're a listener uh, to the podcast. It's, uh, that's appreciated. Uh, but feel free to reach out and get in touch. And, of course, you can also email me, uh, Spain at GorillaHQ.com. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.